picking up, although that is no guarantee at all that this summit will take place. The BBC's Rupert Wingfield Hayes. On Wall Street this morning, Dow futures down 191 points. This is SRN News. mark of giving with integrity is this, your giving should balance resources in the body of Christ. Your giving should balance out resources within the church. He says in verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Let me read that again. This is not, he says, for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve begins another sermon in this series from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 about the generous church. In our last two broadcasts, we've begun to look into the characteristics of virtuous giving. Today, he'll refresh our memories on the first three hallmarks of giving with integrity, and then we'll get on to the fourth one. It's one that I think should clear away some common misconceptions about charity. Here's Pastor Steve. There's a story I once read about an athlete in the circus who used to put on demonstrations of amazing feats of of physical strength. At the conclusion of each show, he would try to impress the people by displaying his ability to squeeze an orange completely dry. And after completing this exhibition of strength, he would then turn to his audience and and challenge them to produce anyone who could extract even one more drop of juice from the squeezed and crushed fruit. Well, on one of these occasions, a small man stepped forward and he accepted the challenge. His size was so small that that some in the audience actually began to, to laugh and uh, just began to sort of mock him. But undaunted, the man stepped forward, and he stepped onto the stage. He took the shriveled-up piece of, of fruit from the circus strongman. He braced himself, and he began to squeeze and compress that, that fruit. The crowd was silent. All eyes were fastened upon him as he continued to tighten his fist. A moment or two elapsed, and then to everyone's amazement, especially the circus strongman, a drop of orange juice formed and dripped to the ground. Well, the cheers just went on for this man and on. And as they began to subside, the athlete called the man forward, asked him his name, and then invited the man to tell the the crowd how he had developed such incredible, incredible strength that he could squeeze a a drop of of juice out of a shriveled up piece of rind that, that when there appeared to be nothing left in the orange... Nothing to it, said the man, and then with a grin on his face, he said, I happen to be the treasurer of the local Baptist church. (laughs) Well, you know, in the early service, it took them a while to get there. It was like a sort of like a momentary lapse there for them, so thank you. But with, with all due respect to church treasurers and leaders who are men of financial integrity, there are many in the church, in leadership, who are quite proficient at squeezing money out of people, even to the last drop. 
especially with widows who, who have very little to begin with. They, they exploit them. And because there is financial exploitation in the church, because it does exist, God has graciously put in his word truths to protect us from being taken advantage of economically. Now, last week, we began a study of a portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 8 that specifically addresses this issue of giving with integrity. And so I'd like you to turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In fact, the entire chapter, as well as chapter 9, deal with the subject of giving. The background, as we've seen, that Paul is raising funds for the Jerusalem church, raising it from the Gentile churches and specifically addressing the Corinthian church to give to these poor people. And he wanted to make sure that in their giving, everything smacked of integrity, that there was no nonsense, nothing that would be wrong and and non-virtuous about it. He had himself been falsely accused by some in this church of being deceitful in the area of finances and lacking in integrity. And so Paul is very conscious of this in his own life, and he wants to convey financial integrity type of truths to the church. And so He's careful to lay down a number of principles, beginning with verse 10, about financial integrity that should mark their giving. Now, these truths are to guide us in making sure that we are ethical, we are virtuous, not only in giving, but in the way we ask for money, in the way we administer this this whole thing, all the funds that have been collected. We want everything in our, in our dealings with money in the church and our personal finances to be filled with integrity. Now, last Sunday, as we began this study, we saw that in every local church or parachurch organization, uh, everyone that is characterized by financial integrity has these distinguishing marks. We looked at three of them last week. Number one, the first mark of integrity in our giving is this. There will be a desire to give. Verse 10 tells us this. Paul says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. It was about a year prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians that the Corinthians began to collect money on a weekly basis for the poor in Jerusalem, the poor believers. And they desired to do that, Paul said. Nobody forced them, nobody coerced them, nobody put pressure on them, nobody demanded it. There was no intimidation, no manipulation. Paul said that you desired it. And even now he said, it's my opinion, these things, there's no law, there's no command that you have to do this, but you wanted to do this. See, here's the principle. When you give, it should come from a willing heart. Not because you feel like uh, you've been scolded by a pastor or, or you're under some legal obligation to give. You give because you feel like giving. And, and the feeling is there because the desire has been put on your heart by God. God is the one who initiates that. God is the one who gives you that desire. You hear about a project, you hear about a ministry, you go, I would like to give. Where did that come from? It came from God. So, so that's the first principle. If we're to have integrity and virtue in our giving, don't give out of any other motive than that you want to give. You want to give. Secondly, Second mark of giving with integrity and virtue is not only will there be a desire to give, that's where it begins, but you have to actually do something about it. And that's the second principle. There will be a carrying out of intentions to give. Paul tells us this in verse 11, but he says, now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, 
so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. What a great statement. He's saying that if your giving is to be marked by integrity, you got to do it. It's not enough to have initial enthusiasm about a project to say, yes, I want to do this, I desire to do this, and then not do it or start something and not complete it. Paul says, you started this a year ago, now finish it. Just do what you said you were going to do. And how we would apply that is to say that if you've pledged any money to, uh, to something like the building campaign, you got to do it. If you made a promise somewhere, you got to do it. Because we trust that you, you did this because God put it on your heart to do this. God hasn't changed his mind. Though you may not have the same initial enthusiasm that you had, still, God has not changed his mind. Follow through and do what you said you were going to do. Or if you promised an organization you would give, you need to do that. Paul is basically instructing these people, keep your word. Keep your word. That's integrity. There is a third principle that we looked at last week, and that is this. Not only will you desire to give, not only will you uh, follow through and carry out your intentions to give, but number three, your giving will not result in any personal financial burden. He tells us that in verse 12, and and he really continues what he said in the last few words of verse 11, but give by your ability. And then he says in verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, what he means by, by this is that the purpose of giving is, is not to make you bankrupt. It's not to impoverish us. What Paul is telling the Corinthians is that, and something they must have misunderstood He's saying that when you give, it's not so that you become poor. You give based on your ability to give. You give based on what you have, not what you don't have. They must have been very troubled by this because it appears that they thought the Apostle Paul was saying that they should give beyond their means, that that they ought to give to the point that they're depleted, that they should give so much money that they would become poor themselves. That's why Paul's addressing this. And what he tells them in this verse is that that's not what he's teaching. It's not what he's teaching at all. He calls them to give what they have, not what you don't have. Don't ever make a promise to give something that you don't have. That's presuming on God. In other words, he's saying just don't put a financial strain upon yourself in order to help others. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't sacrifice. That's all right to do it, but, but don't go into debt. Don't become poor yourself to help those who are poor. You know, I I think it's a very important truth, very important because false teachers and cult leaders are infamous for doing this. They, They do impoverish their followers and put incredible financial strains upon them. People who do, like that story, I, I told you about. They do squeeze out the last drop of people, and they, they continue to do that. Dave Brees, writing in his book, Know the Marks of a Cult, says this about the financial exploitation of cult leaders. I quote, In the financial structure of the average cult, tithing is but the beginning. Then comes the real pressure. The follower, as the screw is turned, is exploited to the point of economic exhaustion. The stories are legion of wives and children who have been brought to the point of hunger and poverty because of the cultic contributions of the head of the family. Enamored of his new spiritual leader, the head of the house forgets the clear teaching of Scripture. If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. End of quote. 
That's from 1 Timothy 5.8, by the way. Well, the Apostle Paul was not like that. He was not manipulative. He was not like a false teacher who squeezed his money out of his followers. He wanted the Corinthians to know that when he asked for money, when he asked for them to give, he wasn't teaching them that they should become destitute in the process, but that is apparently what they thought. And so Paul goes on to clarify this and to explain to them what he really means. And in doing this, he gives us one more Still, another principle about financial integrity, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, If you've looked at these verses and you've read verses uh, 13 through 15, you might go, say what? what? What is this about? Well, this is crucial. This is very important, and I want to take our time to, to go through this. And you may be exposed to some truths you have never thought of before. We need to examine this. We also need to clarify so that we don't misunderstand what Paul is teaching. And here's here's the truth we're going to look at. Number one, we've said that if you give with financial integrity, you'll have desire. Number two, you'll carry out your intentions to give. Number three, it won't result in any personal financial burden. The fourth mark of giving with integrity is this. Your giving should balance resources in the body of Christ. Your giving should balance out resources within the church. He says in verse 13, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Let me read that again. This is not, he says, for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Now, with these words, the Apostle Paul says something uh, and reveals one of the major problems that the Corinthians had in this whole deal, and it is still a problem today in collecting money for those who are in need. And the problem goes something like this. Why should we become poor to give to those who are needy while they who are poor become rich off of us? Why should I give my hard-earned money and in the, process, in the process go into destitution while they become rich off of me? Now, that is precisely what the Corinthians were complaining about. Or it may very well be that Paul anticipated that they would complain about this. And so Paul answers this gripe by stating this, that he is not asking the rich to become poor so that the poor could become rich. That's what he means in verse 13. This is not for the ease of others. It's not for the those at Jerusalem to now live in ease and comfort and for your affliction, for you to become poor. That, that really wouldn't solve anything, would it? They just exchange places. So instead of one group being poor and the other group being wealthy, now you have it just reversed. That That really wouldn't do anything. You see, some may have thought And this just follows up with what we said. Some may have thought that Paul wanted to collect so much money from the wealthy Corinthians, or at least comfortable Corinthians, that they would become poor in the process. That the poor in Jerusalem in the church would become wealthy in the process. And Paul says, no, no, that's not what I'm teaching at all. That's very important that you understand. He's saying, do not give beyond your means. You're not to be burdened in this. That's why he said about give according to your ability. What is he teaching, though? What is he teaching? Very important principle is this. While God does not intend us in our giving to have a financial strain, he does intend that our giving should provide economic balance within the body of Christ. 
In other words, those Christians who have been blessed with a surplus of money, which, which pretty much includes all of us, a surplus, doesn't mean you have to be so wealthy that you're in the class of, of being rich, but it means you have a surplus. God has blessed certain Christians with a surplus of money in order that they should help the poor and needy Christians who don't have a surplus so that there might be some type of economic equilibrium among believers. Now, I realize that whenever you hear the word equality, that raises red flags, especially economic equality. So let me, let me clarify this, lest we misunderstand what Paul is saying. Paul is not advocating the communist ideal in which all wealth should be equally distributed. He is not teaching that it's wrong for some Christians to have more money than other Christians. That is reality. That has always been reality. It will continue to be reality. There will always be some who have more. There will always be some who have less. Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. That's just the way it's going to be. But what he is teaching is that it is wrong for some wealthy believers to hold on to their money, while other poor believers in the body of Christ suffer financially and don't have their needs being met. He's simply advocating that there ought to be a sharing of money within the, with the Lord's people in order to balance out resources. Now, it's helpful to note at the end of verse 13, the word equality. Uh, there's probably a better translation than that because the word doesn't actually mean that we should have all an equal amount of money. That, that's not what this is teaching. It's not teaching like uh, some in Israel who are on a kibbutz. They all pool their resources together and everybody gets the, the same thing. Our, our tour guide, Kenny, uh, had that. He was a kibbutznik. That's what they're called. And as a kibbutznik, whatever he made went into a, a common fund and everybody got the same. That's not what Paul is teaching. The, the Greek word doesn't mean that, but rather the primary thought behind this Greek word is that of balance, balance. In, in fact, from this Greek word, we get in our English language a scientific term concerning the earth's balance. And just as God has designed the earth with balance, otherwise we would, we would be thrown into chaos, uh, there's high mountains and there are deep seas so that they compensate each other. So as God has designed the earth with balance, he desires that there would be financial balance within his church so that the wealthy would compensate for the poor. That's precisely what Paul means. Now, that's what he means. How do we apply this? How does this actually work and how does it apply to us? Well, as I said before, reality is that there will always be some Christians who have a lot more money than other Christians. That's all right. That's God's sovereign plan. It's always been like that. It will be like that. In the early church, for example, Lydia was a successful, wealthy businesswoman. Barnabas was a successful man, had real estate to give. Ananias and Sapphira had real estate and must have been successful and, and wealthy. But the question is why? The question isn't, do, uh, is it all right for some Christians to have more than others? The question is why? Why in God's sovereign plan does that exist? That's, that's the real issue. That's the real question. Well, I'll tell you what society believes. Society believes that you have, some have more money than others because they're just lucky. They're in the right place at the right time. And the way you handle this is to live self-indulgent lives, accumulating more and more for yourself. It's all about you. That's what society teaches, and quite frankly, that's what the flesh says to us also. Just hoard it and enjoy it for yourself and don't share it with anybody else. But if you have surplus, 
As I said, this would include pretty much all of us. If you have surplus or if you are even beyond most and you are considered wealthy, you have been blessed financially by God so that you can share some of that wealth and surplus with the poorer brethren who are in need. That's why. That's exactly why some of us have more money than others, so we can share it with poor believers in order to balance out resources with God's people. That is a vital plan of God to meet the needs of the brethren. That's not the only way he does it, but that is the uh, one of the main ways he does it. It's a vital part of it, as well as being a blessing to the entire church. And let me just expand your thinking on this and show you how it works. We have a benevolent fund here, headed up by some of our deacons and deaconesses. When uh, you give to that, which we take that after the uh, Lord's Supper, when we observe that once a month, that goes into a fund, and our, a few of our deacons and deaconesses are well aware of people in our church who are hurting financially, and they help and minister in that area. Then there are others who uh, you might know who are just hurting, just hurting in, in areas they've lost their jobs, uh, maybe there's illness in the family, they have economic woes, they have a hard time meeting their needs. We're not, not talking about people who are lazy and won't work, but people who have done all they could and they are still in need. People do that all the time and, and give sacrificially and, and minister. But it also takes place in a collective sense. We enjoy our facilities here at Lakeside, and these facilities are going to look much nicer in the near future as we will, um, we are renovating and we'll be doing that before long. This auditorium is going to be very attractive. We have a beautiful gymnasium. Some of you were there last Sunday and saw that beautiful facility as we had a dedication service. In fact, someone just told me before this service how attractive it was, and it is. And you know what? Reality is that some in our church have given a lot for that gymnasium, and some give a lot each week in the offerings, and uh, we all benefit from it. Some don't give that much. I, I don't know who gives what because I never get into that. I don't want to know those things. But I do know that there has to be some who give far more than others, others who either give very little or maybe just abyssal, but they don't have more to give. And others who have more to give, give more. But yet we all benefit because it all balances out resources in the body of Christ. That's, that's how it works. We don't all give the same amount. We don't have the same amount to give. So we make up the differences as we uh, have some equilibrium within the body of Christ. This, this is absolutely a critical truth to understand because if you don't understand this, why God has blessed some of us with more money than others, then you're going to lack God's perspective on wealth. And if you do that, then what happens is the natural sinful tendency will push you in the direction of stinginess and apathy towards others who are hurting financially. And you know what will happen? You'll grow conceited. You'll grow arrogant. Oftentimes, in fact, many times people with a lot of money look down upon those who don't have much money. And yet the scripture addresses that. And before I take you to the, the scripture, let me just tell you, in our own family, I can, I can illustrate this. Um, some years ago when our son was in college, he was going to, I think it was to lead a trip, a missions trip to Nicaragua. And a certain member on my side of the family, not saved, 
was talking to Michelle about this, and uh, Michelle mentioned that Ben is going to Nicaragua, and, and this individual, who will remain nameless, said, I don't think he ought to do that. She said, why not? Well, because, you know, when Ben gets out of college, he'll probably be making a lot of money, and he shouldn't associate with people like that. Now, that wasn't said by Archie Bunker, I want you to know, but it could have been, or George Jefferson, or a combination. But it was said by an unsaved member of my family, and I'll never forget what Michelle said. She said, we want him to go down there because we're not raising him to be a conceited snob. And I think that ended the conversation. Ended the conversation? It may have ended the entire relationship. Uh, But she did hit the nail right on the head, didn't she? Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, call the church office at 727-441-1714 or check out the website, lakesidechapel.com. Another important website is versebyverseradio.org. It's the place to go if you need to fill in the gaps on any broadcast you might have missed. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. You know, what Michelle said to that relative may have been funny, but it was also good doctrine. Pastor Steve will give us the chapter and verse on the next Verse by 